0: Gonna date myself a little bit with my uh, introduction Uh, but in um, in 1963, eight years before uh, I gave my heart to Christ, I was heading for a party in Belmont Shores with three of my buddies and we decided to pull into a pizza place for dinner and as we were finishing dinner My buddy, Craig, leans over and whispers, let's walk out on the tab. (laughs) And the other two guys went, yeah, let's walk out on the tab. And I said, we can't do that. And Craig said, oh yeah, watch me. And he got up and he walked right out, followed by my other two friends, and there I was sitting there (laughs) all by myself and I said, I'm not paying for all this. <laughs> and I got up and I shot out, jumped in my Chevy. I was the driver that night, roared off to the party and we were all laughing and cackling about, you know, boasting about guts that we were to walk out on the tab and all that stuff. So fast forward eight years and on a bright sunny morning uh, in Calvary Chapel, I gave my heart to Christ. And then I started thinking about the pizza joint. (laughs) And I kept thinking about the pizza place. And I kept getting bugged by thinking about the pizza place. And it (laughs) gnawed at me. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so I looked it up and the pizza place was still there. So I thought to myself, I'm going to sit down and write a letter. I sat down I wrote a letter and I said, Eight years ago, me and my buddies walked out of your place, didn't pay for our tab. And I want you to know that I've given my life to Christ and I want to make that wrong right. I want to make restitution. So I slipped a bunch of money in there, enough to to pay for pizza for four people in 1971, (laughs) and mailed it off. And uh, I can't remember exactly, but I think I got a note back. But it didn't matter because I felt good in making restitution for what I had done wrong, for making that wrong right. So our passage this morning is probably the most well-known passage in the New Testament, or at least as far as the four Gospels go. It's the story of a sneaky, greedy little man who decides that he is going to make restitution for those whom he has defrauded, but even more in a magnanimous way. He doesn't want to make just equal restitution. He wants to pay back four times what he has stolen. It's the story of Jesus and the tax collector Zacchaeus. And like I said, it's probably the most well-known story in the the Bible. And if you go to Sunday school, if you're a kid in Sunday school, that's going to be one of the first stories that you will hear and learn about because it's so cute. It's such a cute story. But I'm going to try to bring some freshness. We'll try to glean something new out of the story of Jesus uh, and this uh, tax collector, Zacchaeus. And then... We might. I have a second passage we might look look at, but if I don't have time to get to the second passage, Jeff told me he's going to pinch it for me, and he'll talk about it on Wednesday night. So you don't want to miss Wednesday night. (laughs) Don't want to miss Wednesday night. So uh, if I could have uh, the passage, I've got the passage up here on the screen, and um, uh, Steve back there. I'm going to jump back and forth a little bit. So all right. so this is the story of Jesus and Zac- Zacchaeus. And I want to remind you that last week, great message by Jeff. He talked about Jesus. I just want to put, th- put this in your mind now. The last thing that we studied, which took place uh, either earlier this day that we're looking at now or the day before, Jesus heals a blind man. This blind man has been sitting on the outskirts of the city For months and months and years and years Begging for enough coins just to survive Years he sat there Everybody in Jericho knew him And Jesus comes along And this blind man hears That this Jesus who has worked miracles Is coming down the road right by him And he's like sitting down on the road like this And he cries out, Jesus Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tells him to shut up. You're bothering him. And he cries out even louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, bring him to me. And he said, what can I do for you? He says, I want to see, Lord. He said, have your sight. Your faith has made you whole. That has just happened. That has just taken place. So, first verse. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do instead of reading the passage and then teaching it, I'm going to teach the passage verse by verse as we go to help give you some fresh insight and a fresh look at it. So Jesus entered Jericho and began passing through the town. Alright, so where is he passing to? Where is Jesus going right now? Where is he headed? Steve, put the next slide up. Next slide. Uh, Next one. Yes, here's here's the passage just before the healing of the blind man. Jesus tells his disciples where they're going. Jesus says in calling the 12, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem. So he's passing through Jericho and he's just told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. Jericho is 19 miles away from Jerusalem. It is a one-day Walk. It's important for you to understand that. So he's getting very close. But what's he getting very close to? He's getting very close to yielding up his life on the cross for you and me. He's getting very close to the crucifixion. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets, 300 written prophecies in the Old Testament, written hundreds, even thousands of years before he was ever born, prophesying he would come and he would die for the sins of the world. Everything written by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Gentiles means non-Jew, and in this case it would be the Romans who occupied Israel at that time. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, spit upon, and shamefully treated, and after beating him, they will kill him, but on the third day, he will rise. But the disciples did not understand a word as this saying was hidden from them because they were clueless, really. These poor guys, they were clueless. This is the third time Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. They can't fathom it. They can't believe it. They think Jesus has come to this world to release a kingdom, overpower the Romans, and rule and reign on the earth right then. And, of course, that's not what he came for. He came to offer himself up as a sacrifice to die for all of these sins, all the things we've done wrong in our entire life. He came to do that first. Then when he comes again, he will rule and reign. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. So back to the passage, uh, Steve, thank you. He's entering Jericho, and he's passing through the town. And so, like I said, this is just... This is just a one day's journey, Jericho uh, to Jerusalem. Now, the astonishing thing to me is Jesus knows he's just days from the cross, but he is, he is holding it together somehow. Can you imagine knowing that in maybe nine or ten days, you are going to die? And you're going to die a terrible death not only the physical death of going on to a cross and expiring on a cross but Corinthians tells us he became actually sin he who knew no sin became sin. he literally became sin that you and I when we believe in him might become the very righteousness of God what a powerful exchange when you give your heart to Christ He takes all the darkness, all the stuff out of your life, all the sin out of your life, and he gives you his righteousness. But we could never understand what it means that he became sin. And this is facing him in a few days. Here we are in Luke chapter 19. We've only got five more chapters to go. Luke chapter 24 ends the Gospel of Luke. What a fabulous journey we've been on! I think the best. I've been in this church almost 20 years now. I think this has been the best teaching that we've heard, the messages that have come forth from the various speakers. Now, what I think I'd like to do at this point is give you kind of a timeline. I said to you, there's just a few days to the cross and kind of prepare you for the last several chapters that we have. So, Steve, I have a timeline uh, that that I put together that will help you understand where we are chronologically. So, here is a tentative timeline the rest of, not only for the rest of Luke, but as a timeline for the rest of Jesus's life. All right? So here, uh, and this isn't like a slam dunk here, you guys. This is like very, very close to the exact days that I'm giving you, but there could be a day off of what he did here or there, because I glean this from all four Gospels. Okay? But most of this we see right in the Gospel of Luke. So... I think that this passage we're studying today is Thursday before the Passion Week. He's in Jericho on Thursday. He's passing through Jericho, and on Friday, he is going to walk to Jerusalem. As I told you a minute ago, it's a one-day journey by foot to Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem, heading there, but he's going to stay on Saturday at the home of his very best friends in Bethany. Bethany was just a mile outside the city gates of Jerusalem and it was up on a small mountain. And Jesus will stay on the Sabbath at the home of Mary and Martha. And on Sunday, which we'll be looking at next week in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, he begins his triumphal entry when he comes down through the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, into the gates of Jerusalem as the Messiah, they're all calling him the Messiah, laying out palm branches before him, what we know as Palm Sunday. Then comes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Those are three massive days, really, of him teaching. He does more teaching in those three days than you can believe. And I don't know how, in knowing that the cross is coming, how he gave so much teaching, but it is fabulous, fabulous impartation. It is some of the best teaching that we have that he gave right during the very last week of his life. Of course, on Monday, the famous uh, driving of the money changers out of the temple. You've made my father's house a den of thieves, he says. And My father's house should be what? It should be a house of prayer. Wow, what a great picture. Then comes the heavy-duty stuff. Thursday, the Last Supper... Goes into the garden to pray, and Judas betrays him. And then Friday, Friday, the trial, the beating, the crucifixion, and his burial. And you see, I've got all the chapters listed after each one of these, except for the one on Saturday, which I've gotten from another gospel. Saturday, a day in the tomb, and then Sunday, of course, the resurrection. And Jeff Jeff has, like, magically... When we get to the resurrection, it will be right near the resurrection day. So, I was telling the, first, I was telling the uh, first service, this is the difference between Jeff and me. If Jeff was teaching this passage, you'd be getting a memorable, inspiring quote from C.S. Lewis or Chesterton. <laughs> from me, you get a timeline. <laughs> but I think it all fits together rather well. I think it's very needed. Don't you, get, don't you like the idea that you can kind of feel each day's coming as, as we're going through the gospel? All right. Enough of that. Back to the text, Mr. Steve. Uh, the first slide, if I could get back to there. There we go. Now, verse 2, we're introduced to the main character of our story apart from Jesus himself. Verse two, living there, living in Jericho, was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who was very rich. Uh, No doubt he was very rich. He was a tax collector. And he, and we've talked about tax collectors in weeks past, the tax collector was a Jew who taxed his brethren to give those taxes to the Romans, the occupiers of their nation. And the tax collectors would often increase the taxes of his brethren so he could get a cut for himself. That's why it says in the verse he was very rich. He would, t- re- he would collect taxes and he would take a cut for himself. But more than that, he's called a chief tax collector, which means he had a number of tax collectors under him who would bring taxes that they collected to Zacchaeus, and then Zacchaeus would take all those taxes and give them to the Romans, but he would take another cut from the taxes of the other tax collectors also, making him a very, very wealthy man. All right, so he is probably, without a doubt, the most hated person in the entire city of Jericho. He is despised. Nobody likes this man because they know he's a a thief, he's a crook, okay? All right, let's read verses four and five. So, uh, actually, let's read uh, verse three and four. Verse three, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but was too short to look over the crowd. So here's, here's the picture. Jesus, who's just, he's healed this blind man, is now leaving the outskirts of town, and he's starting to come into town. And Jericho is electric with excitement. Because here comes the man who's healed, this person that was blind that we all knew. He's healed this man from his blindness. He's a miracle worker. Wow, we've got to see this Jesus, and he's coming into town right now, and the whole town has exploded, and they're all milling around Jesus trying to get near him. And so does Zacchaeus, but he's short. He's about this tall. He's short. Maybe five feet, I'm guessing. And he can't see. Everybody's too tall. So he's he's got a plan. He's got a plan. Verse 4. So he ran ahead, and he climbed into a sycamore tree. (laughs) That's how short he was. He ran into a sycamore tree so he could watch from there. So he can't see Jesus. And Jesus is coming, and the crowd's excited. And he says... Oh, I remember the tree. And he runs down to the tree as fast as he can run and climbs up the tree. Now I'm going to show you a picture of a sycamore tree. If you could pull up that slide. There's a sycamore tree alive today, guess where? In Israel. It's alive today in Israel. This is the kind of tree that Zacchaeus would have climbed. And you can see it's not hard to climb. and It's a, it's a beautiful tree, with a huge base and large limbs, and he just would have shimmied right up on top of one of those large limbs, and he would have hung his feet over and waited to get a good view of Jesus. And as Jesus is moving towards the tree, Zacchaeus is excited. He's pumped. Wow, I'm going to see this guy. I'm going to see this guy. Back to our text. So he ran ahead, and he climbed the tree so he could watch from there, When Jesus came by, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, quick, get down out of that tree for I must visit your house today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and walked Jesus to his home in great excitement and joy. Now, I could talk about this for a week, what's happening here, you guys. This is like mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. Zacchaeus is up in the tree Jesus gets near and he's more and more excited. He gets right under the tree and Jesus sees him and Jesus stops, looks up into the tree, calls Zacchaeus whom he has never met by name and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree quickly. I've got to go and stay at your house. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus would have thought? Like just in a flash. Me? He's calling me? I've never even met him. Little Zacchaeus, up here in the tree, he wants me to come down. Wow, he and he went down quickly. And it says when he hit the ground, he was filled with joy. Did you know when you meet Jesus that you are filled with joy? Do you know that I was faking joy for a long time in my life? And for the last 48 and a half years, I have lived in perpetual joy. Not based on my circumstances. I've gone through all kinds of stuff. But based on the fact that Jesus called me down a tree one day and called me by name and said, I want to offer you a fresh life. And I have lived in the joy of the Lord for 48 and a half years because when you really meet him, your life is filled with joy. So Zacchaeus hits the ground, and I believe as he hits the ground, the Holy Spirit hits him. Because there's no other there's no other reason for what happens. There's no other reason other than the Holy Spirit hits Zacchaeus for what we're going to see. Now there's all kinds of beautiful imagery in, G, in Zacchaeus coming down the tree. I want to show you this imagery, but I need to first I'll let you know that one of the synonyms of the cross is a tree. Did you know that? When you read the New Testament, sometimes the cross is referred to not as a cross, but as a tree. I'm going to give you two examples. Keep going. There's Another slide. First Peter chapter two is what I'm looking for, Steve. There it is. So here's two passages in which the cross is called a tree. For Jesus himself bore our sins in his body, where? On a tree, on the tree. Really a cross, but it's on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. In Acts 10, 39, and 40, Peter's giving a message to Cornelius, the centurion, and his friends and family. And he says to them in the message that he gives, we are witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in Israel and Jerusalem, And how they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. They hung him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and he appeared to us. So the imagery of Zacchaeus coming down the tree is exquisitely beautiful. Zacchaeus is coming down a tree and Jesus is about to go up a tree. Zacchaeus is coming down a tree to receive the gift of salvation. Jesus is about to go up a tree to provide that salvation. Zacchaeus is coming down a tree to receive the beginning of a new life. Jesus is about to go up a tree And his life as a human being is going to end. Zacchaeus is coming down a tree and he's going to be filled with joy. Zacchaeus is about to go up a tree and he will be filled with anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Zacchaeus comes down from his tree and his life will be changed forever. And Jesus is about to go up a tree so that your life and my life might be changed forever. Zacchaeus is coming down a tree because Jesus called him by name. And Jesus went up a tree that one day he might come into your life and call you by name. It is a stunning picture. Zacchaeus coming down out of that tree. It is completely, it is so beautiful. The picture of Zacchaeus and Jesus together it is so glorious. It is so amazing what Jesus does. He calls people down from a tree who had no clue. They had no clue whatsoever. And so, what's the normal reaction of the crowd? What? Verse 7. But when those in the crowd saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know who Jesus loved the most? He loved failures. He loved sinners. He loved those way out there in life, those on the edge. He loved the marginalized. Those on the margin. You see, everywhere Jesus goes, he's reaching out to the people nobody else wants to be around. He's reaching out to lepers. He's reaching out to prostitutes. He's reaching out to women and children. He's reaching out to those who are ill, and he's even reaching out to a tax collector, the most despised man in all of the world in Israel's mind, because Jesus reaches out to the weakest of the weak, to the lowliest of the lowly. That's who he's here for. He says, I've not come to call those who think they're righteous. I've not come to call, to call those who think they're good. I've come to call those who know they're not. I've come to call those who are up a tree. i was <laughs> just wondering, where were you when Jesus called your name? How far out in the margin were you? How far up a tree were you? Hey, folks, I was way up a tree when Jesus called me. Way up a tree. I remember chugging down the 55 freeway my old VW Bug. And one of my friends that partied for years with me on the island drove up right next to me I recognized him immediately, I recognized his car, and I waved at him, and he looked at me, and he just shook his head like this, like, what happened to you? Like, what happened to you? And floored his car and shot off. (laughs) I'll tell you what happened to me. Jesus reached into my pit and pulled me out, reached into the darkness of my life and gave me light, Relieve me of the futility and the frustration that I had for years and years trying to figure out what is life about. I'll tell you what he did for me. He gave me a brand new changed life and then called me to himself to live for him. That's what happened to me and that's what's happened to you. I don't know where you, were, how far out in the margin you might have been, but I know you. some of your stories, you can't get away from me about, on that one. Some of you were messed up. All right. Anybody want to raise their hand of those who are are messed up? I'm going to raise my hand. Okay. Most of the hands in this place went up. Yeah, we all know we're messed up. We all know we're messed up. And Jesus came for the messed up ones. He came for the Zacchaeuses. He came for that blind man on the road. He uh, he came for that woman that was bleeding so badly. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be well. And he did. She did, and she was made well. So let's look what happens here in verse uh, verse, uh, eight. Zacchaeus gets down from the tree, everybody's grumbling, and Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, now we don't know how far he's walked. Maybe he's walked 10 feet, maybe he's walked 50 feet, maybe he's walked 100 feet. I don't know how far Zacchaeus walked, but he didn't get too far away from that tree when he says to the Lord, I will give half of my wealth to the poor And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Is that amazing? Like, he hadn't prayed the sinner's prayer yet. Nobody gave him a spiritual track, four laws track. Jesus hasn't said, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? This guy just gets born again on the spot. Jesus calls him down from that tree and he has a revelation of who Jesus is. And he can't get... Too far from that tree before he's saying, I'm gonna give half of my wealth. The richest man in town, he's gonna give half of his wealth to the poor and pay back everyone he's defrauded, and that would have been hundreds, four times over what I have defrauded them of. This is this is the power of Jesus in your life. What else is gonna cause someone like Zacchaeus to give half of his money to the poor? And four times back what he's stolen from someone else. Who who else can do that? Who else will do that? Who else can do that? But Jesus, because when he comes into your life, you turn. And so there's the two the two characteristics, the two characteristics of Zacchaeus stand out for what should be the two characteristics of the true Christian. One, I've already talked about. The joy that he felt. When you really meet Jesus, you experience joy. And two, you want to make everything right that's wrong. You want to fix what you've done in the past. If I can fix it, Lord, help me to fix it. If I can pay something back, Lord, help me to pay someone back. If I can take care of uh, what what, what I've said to my wife, how I hurt my wife, I want to fix that, Lord. Uh, How I messed up with my kid when I was raising him, I want to try to fix that, God. I was mean to that neighbor up the street a few years ago. I've got to go up there and I have to apologize. I've got to make things right. It's what Jesus does. He turns us around. He reconciles us. He brings reconciliation. Nothing God loves more than reconciliation, restitution, reparation. God loves it. He loves confession. He loves renewal. He loves restoration. And he loves new life. This is exactly what Zacchaeus has. He has new life. And if you are sitting here today and you're not experiencing the joy of heaven and you've met Jesus before, you just need to reintroduce yourself. If you're not experiencing the joy of Christ's life, you need to reintroduce yourself to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I've been away from you. I don't quite know how I I slipped away, but I want to reintroduce myself. I want to walk with you in the joy that you have for me. Jesus says, I've come... To give you life And have come To give you life More abundantly This is the normal Christian life Experiencing an abundance Of God's presence Of God's love Mo sang the song He's a good father He's a good father I don't know where you are And all the tough stuff you're facing But in the middle of it all Jesus has life for you. And we can get caught up with our circumstances and we can get caught up with politics and we can get caught up with our iPhone and we can get caught up with our computer and all this stuff. We get caught up with all the stuff that drains the energy out of us. Just keep your eyes on God because when this life is over and this life's going to be over for all of us one day and a lot quicker than you think, we're all going to stand before God And we'll give an account. What have you done with Jesus? If there's anybody here and you've never, ever given your heart to Christ, never been called down out of that tree, then I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Chris sang the song during the offering. Jesus, surrender all to you. Say to God, God, I surrender my life to you. You can just say that. God, I surrender my life to you. I believe in that verse that you went to the cross, died for me, and I want that new life. If anyone asks him, he will give it. If you're here this morning, you've never said yes to Jesus. You don't have to go out and work real hard, do something for God. For by grace, you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone might boast. Finally, in the text, Jesus says, verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation means, the the Hebrew word, this Greek word means deliverance. Today deliverance has come, deliverance. For this man's life, because he had shown himself to be a son of Abraham. Well, who was Abraham? He was the father of what? Faith. He showed himself to be a son of faith. And then the most famous verse in the entire 24 chapters of the Gospel of Luke. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who were lost. Diane Baskovich, God came to seek you when you were lost. Rainy, God came to seek you when you were lost. Bill, God came and I know when he got you when you were lost. Mary French, you and Peter, God came after you when you were lost because he specializes in going after those who were lost that he might seek and save them. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God glorious? It's amazing to walk in the assurance of forgiveness. You know, most of the people walk around this earth and they're struggling with guilt, shame, and self-condemnation. And when you give your life to Jesus, it all blows up. Jesus takes every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, and every bit of self-condemnation because when you ask Jesus into your life, he forgives you. Amen. So I'll stand. Jeff's going to cover the parable on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just I want to thank God for this passage of Scripture, Luke 19, the first ten verses. I want to thank God that we can be reminded as clear as a bell, we can be reminded of who Jesus is and why he came. And what he's done for us. And if you're not feeling joy this morning, you just need to invite him back into your life. And you say, Lord, I don't know what happened. I've not been experiencing it, but I'm inviting you to draw near to me. And I will draw near to you.